Welcome to tonight's Saturday Night Special, episode 144. I'm Jack Allwile. I challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, develop your influence, and impact the world by using your time, your talent, and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to set goals and consistently work towards them is key, and one way to be inspired to do this is to listen to this, the Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend Scott Mater. They have a lot more time at home to reflect on their lives, how they're progressing, are they happy? And I felt my kind of moment like that was back in 2016 when I lost my job. And it's hard to really look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, I I think I need to improve in this part of my life or I need to get my priorities straight again. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In tonight's Saturday Night Special, I interview Jack Allwell. I asked Jack about his transition from actuary to passionate personal finance Arthur. I also asked Jack about his journey to Auschwitz and how it affected his life. And I asked Jack to share why he wrote a book on betting. You know, one area that a lot of folks need some help with is around the area of productivity. Getting not just more things done, but actually getting the right things done can be really tough. I've got a course called Productivity for Your Passion that's designed to help you do this and then to help hold you accountable, and walk with you so that you can tailor productivity, not just to be getting more done, but actually getting the right things done. What's more, we take the approach of looking at your personality and how you actually look at things in the world and tailor the productivity system to your personality. Because the truth is, a lot of the systems that are out there are written really well for somebody with a particular personality type. But if you have a different approach to things, they just don't work. But there's tools and techniques and approaches that you can take that will work for anyone. And we help you do that in productivity for your passion. Check it out over at inspiredstewardship.com slash launch. Jack Allwell is an avid reader, mathlete, and soccer fan. He's on a journey to find the intersection of his actuarial background, love of sports, and personal finance. He's the author of the book, Make Better Bets, and he's also traveled through Europe and met his wife there when visiting where some of his grandparents had grown up. Welcome to the show, Jack. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. It's great to, great to have you here. Uh, we've tried a couple of times to hook up, and it, it's good to finally have a chat with you and have a chance to share it with the listeners. So we talked a little bit in the intro about that you came from this background of being an actuary. And then you had some things that went (laughs) a a little differently than maybe you had originally thought. And now you've transitioned and you have this passion for goal setting and for personal finance and these sort of things. First off, explain to people what an actuary is, because not everyone knows that word. And then talk a little bit about your journey to coming to where you are today. Sure. So actuaries basically help assessing 
different risks. Oftentimes in business, it often involves forecasting or projecting cash flows into the future and then also using some methods to properly discount them, those cash flows back to the present. A lot of times they're employed by insurance companies in reserve setting. So making sure there's enough money in reserves to pay out the future claims. It could be for death benefits or annuity payments that have guarantees. So I, I will say the actual the actuarial exams are incredibly tough and <laughs> are, are probably the hardest thing outside of probably dealing with lingering physical pain from sports that I've gone through. I, I think I had a warped view of the ease of the exams early on. The first five, I kind of cruised through. And then the sixth one is where I really started having problems. And it was around the same time I moved from Michigan to North Carolina. So this was 2015. And I was having trouble, I would say, balancing my social life and work and studying. And I had actually failed the sixth exam twice And at that time, I felt like my work product was dropping and I I just was feeling a little depressed. And unfortunately, that's when I felt like I I was losing balance in my life and I, I actually lost my job. And when that happened, I ended up taking what I call my roots trip, where I went to Europe to see where my grandparents grew up. And we'll probably talk about that a little more later. But when I lost my job, I vowed to myself, I would not be put in this position again. And so basically, I I started reading a lot. And so the sixth exam took me four attempts to pass. And then the seventh one, after a third fail again, I really started changing my habits and I started journaling a lot. And and I thought putting it down on paper really helped Mm -hmm. make progress. And it, it was all garbled in with my personal finances because when I had lost my job, luckily I had cheap rent, but I wanted to think of ways to possibly lower my rent or my housing expense. And that's when I thought, as soon as I get a job, I'm going to house hack or buy a house and rent out the rooms to make my life a little more robust than it had been. So talk a little bit about um, losing your job in in the midst of that and and yet you kept working on the exams and things you know how did that lead to this kind of journey of thinking about self development thinking about what are you going to do different to make that never happen again it's tough to look and see faults in yourself and i i was i think a lot of people are going through that now with covid they, they have a lot more time at home to reflect on their lives, how they're progressing, are they happy? And I felt my kind of moment like that was back in 2016 when I lost my job. And it's hard to really look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, I think I need to improve in this part of my life, or I need to get my priorities straight again, or yeah, reprioritize. So let's talk a little bit about the Roots trip. I, I know the punchline already, but share with the listener where you went and how that led to this reflection period. So my grandparents grew up a lot in Poland, Hungary, and I ended up going to Prague in the Czech Republic. And 
I also went to Vienna, where I oddly enough met my now wife. So it was a very monumental trip for me. But really, I think the the place that changed my outlook on that trip was in Krakow. My grandfather grew up in Krakow. He he was Jewish. He always I, I he unfortunately died before I was born. But the stories are that he, he felt a lot of the anti-Semitism before, and that's, that's why they left and they they went to Michigan. And, and walking around there was just very eerie to me, and it just spurred a lot of questions studying like the Holocaust and World War II, a lot of the videos are in black and white, but just being there and walking around and you see a lot of the empty synagogues mm-hmm. and and I and Poland had the most Jews. I think there was 3.5 million Jews in Poland. So an incredible amount and three, of, three million of them were killed. So I, I had a lot of questions after going to Krakow. And I, I just remember getting a book at one of the synagogue bookstores there. And that, that's when I started reading a lot. And that, that was another thing that came from that trip. I, I hadn't really been a reader before then. And maybe it's because I was just too caught up in studying and working and just I just needed a, to take a step back. And you also went to, to Auschwitz on that trip? I did. So Auschwitz is about a 30-minute car ride from Krakow, and it's hard to describe the vastness of this area. And I was there in December, Mm. and we were walking across the barracks, and I think I went on a three-hour tour, but there are like five all-day tours if you want to go on them. And it is just hard to fathom anyone really surviving a lot of these barracks didn't even have walls. They're basically just uh, like tapestry almost. Mm-hmm. And it is it, it's it was actually snowing on my tour, which made it even more real and of brought to light the fact that it, if it, how important it was if you could get a job working indoors while you were at this concentration camp that you, you really needed to to have a good chance of surviving. Yeah but just very life-changing to see it in person. And have that connection to if your grandparents had not gone to Michigan yeah. and they did, then right. the reality is they may have been there. Yeah. Um, I think that would make it very real. And all of that's tied in together with losing your job. And yet also the happy news of meeting somebody that became your your future wife. So yeah. uh, it had to have made it a challenging period. And one of the other things that we talked a little bit about in, and I'll ask you to go a little or share a little bit on is, you know, you mentioned that one of the things you've done as well to get to know yourself a little better was working as a volunteer. Can you talk a little bit about, first off, I don't think that's most something that most people would think of as a way of self-knowledge or self-development. So what brought you to that? And and what did you learn from that? I, I spent some time I, I don't, it was almost a, a part-time job, but we did a lot of volunteering through it. But it was a, an organization called Moisha House. So I lived in a, it's, yeah, a Moisha House in Charlotte. It was a way to help network also and ma- make some friends. But we did a lot of work in the community, throwing events. And it, it was geared towards the, the young Jewish adults. But we, we would 
do all sorts of volunteering things. And, and similar to, to walking through Auschwitz, it, it kind of just puts things into perspective. A, a lot of times when we were volunteering at places where people are often going through a rough time, and by doing this, I got to see other people's struggles. And for me, it was a reminder of what could possibly happen, that nobody's really immune necessarily from all these bad things happening. And it, it definitely put some caution into my mind. And I think it made me plan for a rainy day when it was sunny. So it's anticipating how things could turn bad when it's actually nice outside. Mm-hmm. And yeah, how, just how to make my my life ro- more robust. I think it keeps coming back. Yeah. So you, you said plan for a rainy day when it was sunny. And it, my growing up, the expression that I always heard was make hay while the sun's shining, which is basically the expression is do the work when it's good, not whenever it's bad. Cause that's when you, that's when you harvest the hay is when it's, when it's sunny <laughs> and having cut hay and picked up bales of hay for a summer job to pay for college. I can tell you that's not a job. anyone <laughs> should <laughs> A tough job <laughs> anyway. So, you know, what are some of the things you did while you were volunteering with them? What are some of the events that y'all put on? Sometimes it would just be collecting, like simple, like collecting trash from public area. But other times it was like volunteering by making breakfast at maybe a a home that helped like single mothers with children who were a lot. This organization, I think you had to be working at least 25 hours a week. So there were people that were trying, but having a tough time and they provided some computers and some job searching material to help them get back on their feet. We, we did some stuff there. We did, there was some like a woman shelter, a woman going through abuse. So yeah, play, play, but th- those were the, the bread and butter places for us to volunteer at. Awesome. So I, I want to talk a little bit about the book too. Out of all of this, you ended up writing a book, as we mentioned in the intro, called Make Better Bets. How did all of this journey and all of this lead to writing a book on betting? And and why did you want to write that book in the first place? Yeah, so I think one of the things that being fired gives you is a lot of time. (laughs) And I had a lot of time and I started reading a ton. And, And although it started out as World War II books, morphed into a lot of economics books. And I'm also very into soccer. So I was reading a lot of soccer books and a lot of them involved the economics of soccer, money in soccer. And there's a book actually called Soccernomics. And it was written by two guys. One was Professor Szymanski, who worked at the University of Michigan, oddly enough, where I went. And he still works in the kinesiology department. And I was just, I was interested in this. So I saw it as like a little passion project and he, he, they did a study that kind of analyzed what countries use their resources the best. Hmm. So they were looking at things like GDP per capita, population size, and the number of international appearances that country had played in. So I got very down the rabbit hole on all this and they were trying to predict goal differential by those three variables. And basically, the countries that outperformed that predicted goal differential, they deemed as a country that was using their resources well. And I thought, 
if you just took it one step further and said, okay, if if this team is predicted to, let's say, win by a half a goal, what does that translate in terms of a probability? And and so I, I actually called Professor Szymanski and he gave me a lot of his material. And the, the more I looked into it, I, I landed on using the FIFA rankings and home field advantage as an indicator. And I used that framework for trying to predict goal differential and then mapping that into probabilities for win, loss, and draw. And in my first actuarial job, I learned a lot of, uh, it's called Visual Basic. It's like the programming language inside Excel to automate, I would say, mundane tasks, typically. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was fairly competent in that. And I, I just saw it as a project to help me have fun and see what, what I came up with as probabilities for certain teams to get out of their groups in the World Cup and things like that. And I ended up making this model and using it to bet. And quite selfishly, at the end, I we I actually lost a little bit of money, but we we had bet France to win it. And I, I kind of thought I, I must have misallocated somewhere. And, and and I had a lot of these questions while I was doing it because one thing that the soccernomics books show is that how player salaries are so predictive. And I basically did not have access to, to get all that for the World Cup. I, I couldn't assemble it all in time. And it, it was actually hard to get certain countries' player salary data. So I, I'm working on that for the next round. But it was basically an exercise for me to go back and see maybe, maybe I got lucky on certain bets that I made and won, but I also maybe got unlucky on certain bets that I had made. And it, it was written. That's why they call it gambling. Yeah. And But I wrote it in a tone and I, I showed the mechanics of the model uh-huh. in a way that I wish I could have read when I was like maybe 10 years younger. Mm. So I was writing it to my younger self and hopefully other people can look at it and build upon it and so that's how it came to be. It was a post analysis and just a passion project. And so with that kind of project, what was, what's your ultimate outcome or what are you, what are you hoping to get out of the book? I've had fun talking to people that have reached out and possibly linking up with someone that has a similar interest to maybe share resources and maybe make a better model and get better. And and the book actually was just helping me. I've been trying to get better at communicating and I thought it was helpful to write down my thoughts and the logic on paper so I can improve on it in the future. So before I ask a few questions that I like to ask all of the guests, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener about your journey or about the book? As far as the book goes, it's it's probably like 50% very quantitative. And then the other 50%, I try to sprinkle in fun stories, oftentimes like flashbacks to my trip to Europe and explaining what, what led to all this. Mm-hmm. And But I, I would just try to reiterate, just pursue passion projects just for the sake of it. Just try to do stuff that you think is fun. And oftentimes you'll learn a lot more than just like work projects. 
Yeah, but at the same time, some of the skills you had as an actuary is what came to bear to be able to do the project. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt that those actuarial skills came in handy. And there's a lot of similarities between what a bookie is and an actuary. Sure. There's really not a lot of predictive modeling. (laughs) So it was, I I think those actuarial skills helped in this. And I think the mod, the, what I went through on the modeling has made me a better actuary. So there was good synergies there. Yeah, it's it, that. That's the part that I think is interesting too, or part of what I think is interesting about it is, in, in a way, you set yourself up to do it. Somebody who has a different set of skills and also a passion for soccer may have come up with a completely project. Ooh. The fact that you had some skills in that area led you to do this particular project. So, one of the questions I like to ask all of my guests is about stewardship. My brand is Inspired Stewardship. I talk a lot about stewardship, and yet that's one of those words like leadership and a lot of other words, financial financial security, that we use words and yet we don't define them. So for you, what does the word stewardship mean, and what do you think its impact has been on you in your life? So I would say it's being responsible for something, taking ownership of something. And I think a couple of years ago, I would have said just focusing and taking responsibility for my own life and kind of turning that into something I was proud of. And now I kind of view stewardship as controlling maybe or taking responsibility of the success of my now like family mm-hmm. with my wife. And so I, I think it'll be facilitating hopefully the success of our marriage and hopefully our future kids to be. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So this is my favorite question of the shows. If I invented this magic machine and I could pluck you out of the chair where you sit today and tr- take you into the future, maybe 100 to 150 years, and magically with that machine, you were able to look back on your entire life and see all of the ripples and all of the impacts that you've left behind. What impact do you hope you've left behind on the world? <laughs> Nothing too crazy, I would say. I, I really just want to be known as a person that operated with character and integrity. And hopefully a lot of people look back and think that I helped them. I try to help people get their, their finances in order to p- possibly do like a house hack like what I did. And I really think it helped me a lot. So uh, a lot of stuff with house hacking, I guess, in real estate, hopefully, and per- personal finance. It's just getting everything in order to help one operate in, in their best way and not, not really let the money whip you around, but more you being in control of your money and, and, and as a consequence in control of your life. So what's coming next for you as you continue on this journey? So about a year ago, I passed my last actuarial exam. Yay! And <laughs> yes, yay. So it's 12, 12 years in the making. Yeah, actuarial exams, med school, passing the bar. Those are, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. I'm not sure which of those is harder, but they're all pretty hard. But um, anyway, but like a little bit after that, my brother and I started a podcast called the Brothers on Books podcast. And we've continued reading a lot, trying to read a book every other week and discuss it. And we just go with whatever we're interested in, runs the gamut between finance and we read a book on uh, the Mount Everest disaster, all sorts of different types of books. And 
just trying to, to learn. And hopefully down the road, a lot of these crazy garbled ideas will turn into something good. You can find Jack on Facebook and LinkedIn as Jack Allwile, or find out more about him and his services on his website, firedtofire.com. Of course, I'll have links to all of this over in the show notes as well. Jack, anything else you'd like to share with the I would just like to say that I, I hope all of you got some value of this and I, I hope may have inspired you to, to pursue another or maybe your first passion project. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor. Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures. Develop your influence and impact the world.